24 hours, the first day of survival. <laughs> the topic that we're going to be reflecting on together tonight is developing your capacity of attention uh, as, and, uh, as a way to present an overview of how we develop samadhi. So developing your capacity of attention is what we're opening to. And as we begin exploring uh, attention and its relationship to concentration and samadhi, the invitation at the very beginning and in the middle and throughout is that we practice embodied listening. Embodied listening. We've been practicing being with the body, being in the body, staying in the body, returning to the body, noticing how often we're not in the body <laughs> throughout our first day of practice. And in doing this, we have been establishing what it feels like to have this capacity of awareness, this capacity of knowing, be felt in the body. That is that we have a sense of embodiment of our capacities. And we do that not through anything fancy, but by just staying in the body, noticing sensation that arise and pass, noticing the form of the body, noticing the movement of the body, maybe notice, noticing the elements of the body, like the fire element, warm or cool, the, and the stillness of the body and the movement of the body and how often it's still when we're sitting, but it's still moving. All of that, just whatever you happen to notice, that's the weight of the body, so forth. That's staying in the body. That's listening from the body for this practice tonight, that you're having your own experience of awareness of your body. And then from that experience, you open out to this capacity of hearing. This means that you're having a, a whole experience or a whole body experience of uh, reflecting, being exposed to, delving into the Dhamma. It's an embodied knowing. So this embodied listening. We'll come back to that word embodied later. There's a, uh, I was sitting uh, uh, up to my left side from up here, um, that next to last row in a chair right on the aisle. And this was an early morning sit with my teacher, Ajahn Sumedho. And in his uh, the early morning sit, he likes to, uh, occasionally reflect, just spontaneously he'll reflect on something, then there's silence, then he'll reflect again. And it's a kind of uh, uh, a Dhamma talk, or at least Dhamma teaching, but it's not like, it's just here and there and all. And uh, I was feeling in my body just, uh, a kind of uh, restlessness. And I was aware of that restlessness. And I was going, what are you doing, Philip? Does that really reflect your values in this moment? That your that that your that your mind's restless? I wouldn't have even noticed so much had I, had I not been uh, uh, in my body, just this this listening from the body. So um, uh, I I was I was going, huh? And it was just a reflection. I wasn't like being mad at myself or anything, but I was going, huh? What's really important to me here? And and then it suddenly really registered in the body. I'm getting to sit with Ajahn Sumedho, my teacher. How fortunate and how rare it is that I get to do this. So I was reflecting on that for a minute or two. And then I started feeling this uh, waves of gratitude and appreciation. Again, an embodied experience, this waves of gratitude. And I was just... I was just going along for the ride, you know, that I was not directing my attention at all. I was, I was, I had had this wise reflection, but then this experience was unfolding and I was staying present with the unfolding of my experience in an embodied way. And then out of nowhere, from the ego's perspective, there arose this kind of rapt attention where it was really like, 
I mean, just total attention. And from there, there's uh, just uh, opening to uh, a very strong experience of of concentration, and uh, that went on into a a kind of samadhi experience of of being quite absorbed in it. And again, not because of any efforting, but because I was present in an embodied way that helped me reflect, helped me reflect despite the mind having its restlessness. That's why I'm telling you the story, is that we, we tend to think we gotta get all these conditions right, but mostly if we just kind of show up, then the Dhamma will do us, if we can just show up some of the time. So what is this concentration that we're uh, giving ourselves to on this retreat? It is the mind's capacity of attention to be collected and unified. That the mind's attention, its capacity of attention, and it's got many different uh, kinds of attention and all of these different ways. We can describe it in so, so many ways. I had to leave out ways of describing it to fit everything into the talk. And that capacity of attention to knowing something, to be able, think of the attention as the mind spotlight. So just a moment ago, I noticed movement on the floor as I was trying to get set up. So the, the attention was broad enough that I would notice something on the floor when I was actually, I had a lot to get done before we started. And I, I, I noticed the movement. And lo and behold, it was a spider. And easily, I could have stepped on that spider because it was kind of frozen in space, you know, trying to like avoid being detected. And that moment of noticing just at the periphery, the spotlight of the mind that we call attention shined on that spider. Does that make sense to you? That it's a spotlight of the mind's capacity of knowing. It turns towards, it turns its spotlight onto a topic in order to know it. Just as, uh, uh, oh, well, that's the sound, or oh, that's the sound of a child crying. Is that child okay? All these gradations of the attention that we, that's, everyone in this room has a, a marvelous amount of. It's incredible the levels of attention and the, the, the uh, gradations that we can make around this. And so that this attention is the spotlight of, of the mind's knowing. If the attention doesn't turn towards something, it may be known in the background but not recognized and later recognized, or sometimes it never registers in the conscious mind at all because there was no spotlight on it. And so even memory can't turn a spotlight on it, but it was there in our experience. There's been uh, many a uh, 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 graduate student in psychology write their thesis or their uh, doctorate on this, the way the mind works and what it notices and doesn't notice. But because we practice mindfulness, because we have a, a conscious intention of how we're going to relate to the world, we're interested in developing uh, sensitivity as to what registers and being able to recognize it as, as wholesome, unwholesome, skillful, or unskillful. And that same uh, knowing also, and that, that would all be Vipassana and insight practice, and that same capacity of knowing can collect and unify the mind and turn it into a deepening and deepening, steadier and steadier resting on a single object. So that resting on a single object is concentration. It is, it, it is again, very gradated. We can have various levels of intensity and all that I will mention more later, but the, the attention is steady. So that spotlight is staying on that. It's not, it's not going back and forth, which I would call wavering where it just sort of goes off like off and on a little bit, the way I'm moving my hands, uh, one right hand over the left hand extended, uh, so not wavering and not flipping around so it's not jumping off to what's outside, to what's in the back of the room, to what's over here. It is staying steady on a single object. That steadiness, as it's developing, can 
flip around. That's why there's a collecting. And it can also be that wavering as it's developing. But at some point, it gets steady. It just stays on the object. That's the concentration. It's been collected. All of the attention's been collected. So it's in one place. But it's in one place, but there can be a lot of movement. It's not that. It's, it's, it's a little vibratory feeling. It's not really settled down. But at some point, it settles down with the object to the degree that, at, in some instances, it becomes one with the object so that you're so concentrated, you and the object aren't really separated in the experience, or to the extent that the mind starts to be uh, free uh, even from the object, but going more and more into an, its own inner experience, the mind experience in itself. It is so collected and unified that it can go into uh, various states of what we call absorption. Absorption. That uh, There's a, a poly term for that called jhanas. So there are different levels of the mind being collected and unified in absorption. Uh, first jhana, second jhana, and so forth. This is all normal and natural. The mind does this whether you've ever been in a uh, a meditation retreat or not, or whether you've ever been in a concentration retreat or not. It's just that it's much more likely to happen because we're creating the conditions for, for this to happen. What we are most interested in, in this retreat, is collecting and unifying the mind to the point that the disturbances of the mind, like our wanting mind or our restless mind or our sleepy mind, are not uh, controlling the moment. That we have those, what are called the hindrances, which you'll hear about in depth later on in this retreat. That the hindrances are at bay. So the mind is not being, even if the hindrances are rising, they're not capturing the mind. So you're worried about something and you feel that worry at the periphery, but it doesn't capture you. This happens to us all, all the time anyway, but not so much around a neutral object like uh, the body or the breath, and we will be turning to the breath tomorrow. So the mind, the mind becomes collected, it becomes unified around an experience. The hindrances are at bay, and so the mind has this steadiness that we get to know ourselves. If we're looking at Vipassana, if we're using it for purposes of Vipassana, then we're, we're seeing uh, the, the three characteristics. We're seeing uh, the nature of clinging. We're seeing the seven awakening factors. The, you know, we, we're seeing all of these Buddha truths, and we're also seeing our personal behavior patterns that are skillful and unskillful, and our goals that are wholesome and unwholesome and all. There's a whole framework that, that the insight practice brings us to. But in the ideal way, we would reach this level of collected and unified mind where there's some, there's some uh, hindrances at bay. There's, our, our mind's relatively clear so we can really watch ourselves. And in that sense, when we're doing Vipassana, the, the, when difficulty arises, that's opportunity to learn. This level of being collected and unified is called access concentration or neighborhood concentration. So uh, when Sally and I first presented this retreat to the Teachers' Council, that's what we said was the aspiration for the retreat, was to have students in our community understand that there was this level of attention that can be developed and have more and more over the years members of our community be able to uh, more and more skillfully access this level of, of, of their attention being collected and unified, being, being strong in attention, being clear in attention. That was our goal. Our goal of this retreat was not to create a, 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 a whole experiences around deep absorption. Deep absorption would ordinarily be cultivated in one of the month-longs or or two-month-longs or three-month-long retreats when you have lots of time to let the mind settle down. Now, uh, there's again, there's a whole range of things that will happen in this retreat. Some of you will certainly experience um, 
uh, various aspects of what are called the jhana factors where the mind gets steady in various ways and others won't. And uh, maybe somebody will go into a deep absorption in this retreat, maybe not. Sometimes that happens, sometimes it doesn't. But our, that's not our goal. All the practice, all the talks, all the, uh, the instructional sits are, are, are aimed at helping you just be able to collect and unify your mind. I don't know if you will believe that or not. I don't know if you'll accept that or not as your own goal because so often people are looking for a special experience and in looking for that special experience they greatly reduce the chance of having a special experience because of striving. That makes, striving makes the mind restless. There's a reason for firmness and staying with, but this striving, this demanding and all of this, it separates us. It's, the, it's a mind that is collected and unified that you've already heard this, this phrase, uh, the, the relaxed attention. You're going to hear it so many more times. So if you would just embrace it now while you're in your body there listening to this talk and just say, oh, I'm not sure I know what this is, but come right on in, relaxed attention. I'll get to know you. I'll take care of you. I'll do what you want. Just really open to this, to, to exploring, to knowing the taste of, knowing what it feels like in, in an embodied way, to when the mind really is relaxed. That attention, that I'm staying with the breath as best I'm able, and you know, it's so-so, but I'm really relaxed about it being so-so. Oh, it's really steady. I'm still relaxed. I'm not so excited that I, I that, that set limits on what can happen next because my excitement is taking me away from the very relaxation that's allowing it to come together. And if the mind is wandering everywhere and you're sleepy and grumpy and saying, why did I choose this retreat? Or, you know, these teachers, there must be better teachers than this. Whatever it is that the mind's saying, that you, you stay relaxed with that. You don't have to get perturbed by any perturbances because you know what you're about and you're staying true to what you're about. It's not pleasant at that point, but no one anywhere in the description of this retreat said, this is all going to be pleasant. <laughs> but there is a lot of pleasant arising because of this abiding that we start to do. It's, it's a calm abiding, it's called. And uh, uh, we, we, we do like that. We like that a lot. So access concentration or, or this uh, neighborhood concentration, neighborhood means it's in the neighborhood of going into an absorption. That's what's called neighborhood. Access means that you're gaining access if you keep going to get into absorption, that you're, you're, you're gaining access to the gate that would allow you to go. So you're in the neighborhood. I prefer that language in that way because we don't want again to get all excited about something or take birth in or make a me or mine out of something that's just arising due to conditions even though we have intent that's part of those conditioning still not me nor mine so this this kind of of of, of absorption this kind of uh, this kind of concentration this kind of uh, the, the neighborhood the access and even a temporary concentration of a single moment are all temporary. So we can have moment-to-moment -moment concentration, and uh, there was a whole kind of revolution where it was discovered by certain teachers in Southeast Asia that moment-to-moment -moment concentration, like you're, you're present for this moment and the next moment you're gone, that even if you're just here for a very short period of time, you can still practice insight. You don't have to have neighborhood concentration. Just temporary, momentary concentration is enough by some teachings. It was not originally taught that way. It was originally taught you need to get to this level. I say originally, the Buddha didn't have it all structured like this one way or the other. That was after his death, people started structuring. So not the best choice of words there. So uh, we... we uh, we already know we have momentary concentration and we've had little moments of time when the mind's been collected. What we're doing here is increasing those number of moments. We're increasing them in frequency. So we're, the, 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 the attention is collected and unified more often 
for longer periods of time and with a stronger duration. And uh, I'm sorry, stronger duration, that's not the right, stronger intensity or, um, um, yeah, that's what I'll use to stand this. I'll give you another word later on. So that's what we're doing. And every talk, we're going to repeat, we're going to overlap, we're going to say the same thing different ways. We don't have two topics. So we only have one topic. <laughs> that's how to collect and unify the mind. That's it. That's it. Any, anything that's said is in that service on this particular retreat. So this word collected means gathered in one place. Gathered in one place in the way we practice is gathered in, around an object of experience. So the mind is paying attention to an object of experience. The one we're recommending for almost everyone here is the object of the experience of the breath. So the, the breath is an object of experience that the mind is knowing, and it has a physical component uh, that, that is part of that uh, being uh, paying attention to it, or you can actually treat it as just uh, almost a point for concept, like one really wonderful famous teacher does. He doesn't really teach it as a body experience so much, but for our purposes, that it is, it is a body experience, just like feeling, uh, you know, the, the skin responding to the breeze, or feeling an ache in the knee. It's a body experience, but it's a body experience, as I said last night, from the autonomic nervous system run, and we're just staying with that experience, and we're knowing it. So our spotlight is turned on that experience. The spotlight will drift away to some other experience. We patiently, but firmly, bring the spotlight back to the breath. We don't mind how many times it goes away. We have our preferences, but we're not thinking we get to dictate that. It goes away as many times as it wants to go away, and one more time, then it goes away, we bring it back. If it's there, but it's wavering, so we're sort of, sometimes we're thinking of, we're, we're on the breath, and other times we're having this thought about, I, I wonder what's for lunch today. We, we don't mind that. We just keep turning back to, uh, uh, connecting to deeper, this feeling of, of breath. And the more interesting that the breath appears, the easier it is to do. And the more closely we look, the more that's true. But even more than looking closely as a, a kind of mental structure is when we really relax and soften into. So mind relaxes. That mind that is relaxed can soften into an experience and therefore know it deeply. It's like knowing the surface of the ocean versus being able to soften in like you were in a submarine and you know all the depth of the ocean, or at least part of the depth of the ocean. You can go down deeper into the ocean. So this softening into allows us to become deeper involved in our experience. And we'll see that in an exercise a little later. In this collectedness, when the mind gets collected, there starts to be more of a stillness because it's not moving away as much. Does that make sense, right? That stillness is a wonderful quality. One of the things that I would have you recognize is the moments that your mind is relatively still. One of the challenges of this retreat is getting people to notice the moments when concentration is happening, when the mind is collecting and unifying. It's a challenge because we, we, you know, we have this, uh, this bias of perception that what we don't like is what we pay attention to. But in this practice, paying attention to what is working is a, a more wholesome, more skillful uh, means so just any time that you feel the, the stillness of the mind, oh, the mind is really here on the breath right now. Then you don't make a big comment about it, you don't make it mere mind, but oh, stillness here. And that stillness is um, 
in the dictionary definition of concentration, it's a common center, and the common center of attention is the breath. So this moment, and this moment, and this moment have a common center, the breath. It's kind of cool. It's interesting. It's like, oh, oh. And that's the that's the uh, level of comment. When we start commenting more than that is when we uh, throw ourselves off. So that's collected. Unified is that is when that the that is so collected it becomes a singularity. It becomes a singleness. It's not diluted. It is steady. It is resting. There's a sense of ease, so that there's a resting of attention on the object. It's not bouncing around and so forth. Again, we'll see that in a moment. And that unified means there's a sense of ground. And one of the um, great gains of uh, this kind of meditation is one really learns how to find a ground. A ground so that one's not afraid, so that if one is afraid, one still has choice. If one is afraid, one can know how to do self-comfort. If, if one's excited, one knows how to stay grounded so that excitement doesn't cause them harm uh, through uh, uh, words or actions and so forth. This ground, 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 let that be a word for you that we, then as we develop this ability to stay grounded in our attention on the breath, we're developing this uh, great capacity of groundedness that then we can become grounded in more and more subtle experiences. And that is part of what allows uh, this deep insight to happen. It's part of what allows the heart to feel invited sufficiently that the heart opens and liberates. The sense of having a ground that is a place. And it's a fancy form. It's the groundless ground. But it's still a ground. So right now, and, and staying with the breath, you're practicing something that is one of the most subtle aspects of the whole practice. But we're practicing it in a in a, a, a more coarse form so that we will apply it and it will develop in its more subtlety later on. To me, that's very exciting. That I'm really, I'm really doing, the, the, I'm connected to the entirety of the practice in my very practice in this moment. It's really exciting to me. I hope some of that rubs off onto you because that means uh, there's a connectedness already. So I'm not wandering around, even though my mind may be wandering around. I am aligning. I'm aligning as best I am able. And it's here right now. So um, in Vipassana, that one-pointedness of the collected and unified mind is slightly shifted in its its uh, focus, such as it is to quote the Venerable Somato, the one point that includes everything. So the mind has got that same steadiness, but it's not steady on some single object like the breath. It's on all the experience, so that insight, understanding, because we're seeing it deeply, just as it's arising. And again, many gradations of that. So the the, uh, the the collected and unified uh, aspects together, they can create a contentment of mind. This contentment of mind, that the mind is content. And again, and I'll, I'll repeat this, notice when your mind's content. It may not be that long, but notice when it's content. You will certainly notice when it's not content. But we take for granted when the, the mind has a kind of happiness, a kind of contentment, a kind of sense of well-being, because in some weird way, it's as though we assume that that's, well, that's supposed to be that way, despite all evidence saying that that's not true, right? Because think of the times, the vast number of times our mind's not content. So this is a kind of challenge to you, like wake up, stay embodied, and notice when the mind's content. And then, as, as the, the, the mind becomes content, it, it loses interest in the things that causes the hindrances to arise. And 
then the, these characteristics of the mind being collected and unified start to appear. Uh, these, uh, you know, this, the, these factors that allow that to happen that you'll be hearing more about. And then at some point in a, in a Vipassana retreat, you would either continue practicing this way where you went into absorption or you would choose to go into uh, insight practice. But either way, you're starting up here with momentary concentration, getting a little bit more than just momentary, and however far down you go till you get to this point, you go one way or the other. That's the that's the, the sort of the big map of it. Concentration is a spectrum. It's not on and off. You may feel that sometimes that there's no concentration, and there could be. There are well, there are moments when. In, uh, other than momentary, there's no concentration. But in general, we're somewhere on this spectrum of, of the mind being collected and unified. And it can vary in an instance. So it varies in steadiness, how, how it stays there. It varies in duration. And it, and it varies in this depth or intensity, how concentrated we are. And mostly, we're, we're doing our best to create the conditions, but we're along for the ride. But it matters so much that we are along for the ride. And that is where the mindfulness comes in, in concentration practice and collecting and unifying the mind. If we're not mindful, we, we, we are taking away one of the things that will really help the mind become more collected and unified. So you're going along for the ride, but you're definitely present for it. You're not you know, checking in later. You're, you're staying present for it. So what's empowering about this is uh, that we develop an ability to concentrate that's not dependent on any stimulant. It's not dependent on a sense of urgency because you get concentrated when you've got to get a paper written or you've got to if you got to get the you know the the trash out before it's collected, you know, or that you're trying to fix a faucet, you know, in your sink that's been leaking. You've got to be really concentrated and uh, overcome your own, I don't know what I'm doing, doubt and all of that. And so uh, it's not dependent on that kind of urgency, nor is it dependent on this huge wanting, like, oh, I just want this, I just want this. It's not dependent on that, nor is it dependent on fear, because fear can really concentrate us if it doesn't send us out and doesn't freeze us. It can really concentrate us. Um, I can remember two times when automobiles came into my lane and how concentrated I was because it was, it was kind of uh, amazing that I dodged both those automobiles. My mind was totally present. Spontaneously, I didn't think, boy, I need to collect and unify my mind now. It was like, boom, you know? And it was like, uh, once I was with my yoga teacher and uh, we were driving, this was in uh, New York, and we were on a freeway, and the car, uh, for reasons that I could not see, suddenly lost control of itself and spun around and came back. And it was bearing which lane it was going to come in. So it was moving this way, so it would move one way, and I have to move the other. And we were in the middle of a discussion, this yoga teacher and I, and I just continued the discussion while I was dodging the car. And about 30 minutes later, my yoga teacher, who's not altogether impressed with me, <laughs> but in that moment he said, about 30 minutes later, he said, you know, that was pretty impressive the way that, <laughs> one of maybe five compliments ever. <laughs> so uh, uh, the, this is, uh, we can do this naturally. We, don't, we learn with the breath we develop this capacity, and it will show up in our daily lives. So there's, uh, there's all of this benefit that's happening for your, uh, all of the future you that will be out there in this ever-changing you that's present in this moment, that's not the one who first sat down on the cushion. You are benefiting all of those future moments of this stream of consciousness by developing this in this way. And it's not a question of measurement, it's a question of practicing, of, of uh, as best I am able, as we did in our vows last night, which I remind you of. Uh, Ajahn Suchito says that when relaxed concentration, when, when, when relaxed concentration arises, the mind is spacious and settled there naturally occurs the joy of embodied presence. There's that word embodied again. 
that when the mind is in relaxed concentration, that doesn't mean in some deepest, deepest concentration. It means when the mind is really settled, there naturally arises the joy of embodied presence. And that very embodied presence is what you can start to have more and more of in daily life. This is a gradual path. It really shows up everywhere. It's not where retreat is intense practice, but daily life is practice too. It's all practice. There's nothing but practice. Once we start to understand that, which can take, oh, 10 years or so, 15 years maybe, but once we really move from treating retreat as practice and saying, okay, that's a, that's, that renewed me for my daily life to the point where we start to say, okay, I want to bring some of this practice into my daily life and then on to the point to say that my practice is an important part of my daily life to the point that, oh, daily life is practice. That's when the envelope kind of switches over and uh, you, you've got a ground of being right there because you know what you're about. You're about practicing. Sometimes it's going well, sometimes it's not. Sometimes we remember, sometimes we don't. But we know how to collect and unify the mind and we know how to remember through our mindfulness. And so we, in daily life we collect and unify just like here and we meet life in that way as practice. What to practice what? To be able to recognize suffering and non-suffering and be able to choose non-suffering over suffering. We need this collected and unified mind. We need to build up this capacity. It is, it is a wholesome goal. It is a skillful means to do so. So that's what we're doing. And, it, and if we're just practicing, you don't get upset if you're if you're practicing your scales, if you play piano or uh, any other musical instrument. If you're going out for a run, and but you you like to you're an Ironman person, you you go out for a run and the run is whatever it is. You don't get all upset because the run wasn't just what you wanted. That's the same with every sit. We're just doing the sit. We're just doing the sit. I really mean it. <laughs> We're just doing the sit. So hard to really accept that. I know that you can kind of go along with it at this moment, sort of maybe, but no, it's really hard to accept that. No, I'm just sitting. I'm just sitting. And that way I'm available for the Dhamma to develop me. Rather than me having to accomplish all of this and do all of that. I'm just sitting. I'm just here. But I'm definitely available. There's no question about that. I'm available to be developed. That's our point of choice. So there's two skills that, uh, that uh, we, we develop uh, to in increase this um, capacity of attention. Attention in Pali is called manasakaro. And, and uh, as we develop attention, uh, whether it's for concentration reasons or for daily life reasons, it's called wise attention, yoniso manasakaro. And we, there's two specific skills in our tradition that we use to develop this ability to collect and unify the mind. And the first of these is, is called vataka, and it's aiming the mind. The mind is going to aim repeatedly at the breath in our practice. And again, we will give you a different practice if the breath is not right for you for various reasons. We respect that. So it's the, the attention is turning. You're aiming the spotlight. The spotlight could be, oh, what a nice day it is tomorrow morning when we turn to the breath. And then, but then the instruction will be turn your attention towards the breath. So that means the spotlight is moving towards the breath. That's the vataka part. That's a kind of energy. It's a kind of intent because it can be anywhere and you're aligning with one thing. So that's a kind of uh, that's a kind of energy, and it's it's uh, till it becomes a, a default for us. That's quite a bit of energy. The second skill that we develop is sustaining attention on that very object, and that sustaining is called vachara, and it's not really once we get settled in, it's less energy in my experience. 
But at first, it's more energy because we can get to the breath, but we can't stay there very well. So back off, back through all of that. So we have to, like it takes a while. Uh, Upandita, one of our great teachers in the last century, um, he referred to it as once you've connected with the breath, it's as though you're rubbing against the breath, as though you're polishing the breath. I'm going to be personal and subjective here. So in this aiming, uh, uh, when, I, when I was first experiencing this, I, I called it aiming and connecting. Because it's one thing to aim, it's another thing to stay with. But if you just use those two words, did the connection happen or not? <laughs> Were you present to notice that you actually connected with the breath? I hope you can follow that. Because it's very important to recognize that, that you have connected to the breath. If you really truly recognize you've connected with the breath, you're more likely to stay there in my experience. So you recognize, ah, the breath feels like this this moment. The breath is like this. Ah, fast, slow. Any kind of recognition so that you recognize you are really, uh, uh, because of this relaxed attention, you're softening into, you're more fully knowing the experience of the breath. I tried, we have a wonderful scholar named Ajahn Analyo. And so I took it upon myself to, to get him, to convince him that Bataka should be referred to as aiming and connecting. And we had this conversation and with other teachers present, which they were more and more uncomfortable with my insistence about this view. And for maybe a minute, I may have had him sort of seriously considering it. And then he says to me, Philip, that's impossible. There is no, and Bataka has no meaning of connecting. You can't get there from here, so stop it. Just stop saying that. And yet, I'm willing to stop saying that, but you, you still have to know the connecting, that you feel that. So just this moment, I want you to just, first just sort of know that you're going to just turn your attention towards the breath for a moment. Okay, now let that go. Now I want you to turn your attention to the breath again, reestablish it, maybe feel it somewhere else in your body so that it's beginner's mind. So turn your attention to the breath, and with the idea of feeling that connection, when does it happen that you actually know you're feeling the breath? That you can name something specific in the experience? Deeply know. That is the connecting. Thank you for that. So, uh, and that connecting will lead, in my experience, again, I told you this was subjective in my experience, that this will lead on to this feeling of staying with, of rubbing, of, of uh, getting, but, but moving more and more to becoming one with. So really, um, recognition is, uh, is so important in other aspects of the, the insight practice that if you practice recognition here, you will some some future version of you will be very appreciative of you, because it's very important in insight. Because insight has to be recognized also, and there it's named, but not so much here. So the recognizing that connection. So you're aiming and sustaining, and that's what we are doing all day long. We're aiming and sustaining as our skillful means, and of course. Each of these requires effort. And um, the feeling is, there's a felt sense of this. So if you will, uh, if you will raise your hand. Now focus on the hand and stay focused on it. Drop it, come back up and do it again. Aim, connect, sustain. How many people, let that go, but show of hands, how many people could feel that, that, that sustaining energy? Hooray, that's all. <laughs> You're getting to the point that you can feel that sustaining energy. It's not that hard a practice, it's just hard to, to maintain doing it. 
Okay, now, there are certain qualities or of, or of attitude and conditions that support this uh, ability to, uh, to connect, uh, to uh, uh, aim and sustain. So these qualities of mind, this attitude that will really help. And um, this, uh, this is not like a list you've got to hold on to. It's kind of feeling it. So one is that, that this thing that we've started with last night, that you really have a comprehension that this is practicing rather than resulting. Makes such a difference, such a difference. Result comes because of practice. Result doesn't come from resulting. You know, it just doesn't. That, it, it seems maybe like a tautology to be saying that, but our minds with our wanting and our expectations and our not uh, trusting ourselves and all of the judging and all that. So, clear comprehension, which you've all taken the vow that you're practicing, that you're not resulting, you can remind yourself of that. Then the second one, the uh, conditions or attitude that we've already done, you know, last night and today, is staying in the body. And then the third one is that this developing a relaxed attention. So left hand out. Now put the right hand on top of the, the left hand, the palms turned towards the ceiling. So I want you to hover the right hand right above the left. Oftentimes, this is how we are with the tension on the breath. We're not really on the breath. We're hovering around it because of the efforting's in the way, or we're really not fully committed to it, or we're not staying present for that recognition of it. Put the rest. Isn't that tiring? So can you imagine how tired you get during a sit when that's, there's a lot of that hovering? Back up. And now this time, uh, push down. We start pushing at the breath. That's tiring. Now turn it into a squeeze. That's tiring, right? Now start pulling it or pushing it. <sighs> and yet, without, unless we notice, the mind will do that because we're sort of like we're going to uh, you know, push something along. We're going to get something out of our way. We, we, we do these kind of... Uh, 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 unskillful ways of relating because we're not noticing. So one last time, just left hands out, let your right hand come down and just rest on the left one. Do you see how relaxed that is? Now notice something about your left palm. It might be its coolness, the softness. It might be there's a little vibration or there's not a vibration. That is relaxed attention that is softening into. That's what we're practicing. On a number of retreats, people will do this as I have done and still do after I've been doing this for, I don't know, 20 years or something this way, maybe more. Uh, I will still do it to remind myself of what I'm doing. That is not just relaxing the mind, but it's relaxing the mind to the degree that I know it's relaxed because it can soften into the experience. Otherwise, I can be having the idea of relaxed mind, but it's not really relaxed. This is the recognition of that relaxation. That word recognition, again, the softening into. And boy, when, it's, when you're, you know, you're having a hard time, your back's hurting you, or your mind's restless, when's the bell gonna ring? If you can just, for that moment, you know, uh, just feel the difficulty and relax with the difficulty and soften into it and just know it for a moment. So much easier then to move back to the breath. Or, or to be, if you can't move back to the breath, to staying into it. Maybe it's some big uh, mind storm and you can't move away, but you can change how it is. So you, you have you have clear comprehension of practice, you're staying in the body, you develop relaxed attention, and then you, uh, you uh, with this relaxed attention, you move into the vataka and the vachara, you, you do the aiming and sustaining, and then you relax. Once you've connected, you're sustaining, you, you uh, soften into the experience. And then uh, as you're, once you've softened into the breath, really be, go to receptive mode. 
Like, what does this really feel like? You're receiving the experience as though it wasn't a me or a mine. It's this, literally, you're, you're the, uh, the uh, participant observer of your own experience. You're in the experience. You're not removed from it, but you have an observing capacity as well as the feeling of participating. My breath right this moment, so for right now, for me in this moment, my breath is a little short. It's been this way for three and a half years. I can't get quite a full breath, which is um, uh, something one learns to live with and relax into, soften, relax and soften into, because otherwise the nervous system would get very disquiet over this. But my nervous system is not disquieted. So uh, the, the, that you, you learn to just receive the experience. You just rece- you're receiving it, and you're not like trying to manage it so much. You will know when to manage. And then uh, uh, you, you will, again, you'll see when your mind's got some freedom that the mind's not being hindered by something and you'll know what to do with that. And how long does all this take? As long as it takes. And then, um, uh, again, uh, this importance of noticing when we are when we're having a moment when the mind is collected. It is the number one thing that we miss. And uh, at the end of the retreat, at the fourth day, or fifth day, eighth day on this retreat, one of us will be saying this, notice, notice when the mind has, has got a bit of calm. Notice when there's this connection. Recognize when there's this connection. I can't say that enough. And. Um, uh, this, this, after all of these years, it's dawned on me to really try harder on this very first full evening to try to uh, bring our attention to this. So, um, uh, we are, we are, um, we're learning how to do this. Maybe you've been at this retreat ten times. I've been at it more than you. <laughs> I'm still learning. I've had a lot of the, uh, the, of the experience of a mind being concentrated and unified. And I'm still learning. We're just all learning. Where we are can be more pleasant, less pleasant. We're all just learning. What gets in the way is our judging mind when we go, oh, I'm no good at this. Or, oh, this is, look at these thoughts I'm having. These are bad thoughts. Or, uh, no, my body can't do this. Or whatever it may be. So judging mind gets in the way. Does anyone here not know their judging mind? I don't see any hands up. And then another thing that gets in the way is uh, we compare. We compare uh, to the, we had a good sit this morning and then the rest of the day we spend comparing every sit to that good sit. And so we can't just take this sit in its own term. We want it to be like that sit. We're trying to, we're trying to measure for what reason and why would that work and do, do we really understand how to do this? Absolutely not. And yet we will do it. Everyone will fall into comparing mind. This really gets in the way of our practice. Does anyone in here not know their comparing mind, their tendency to compare? The Buddha was so strong about this that he said, neither better than, worse than, or the same as. He was saying, stay out of the whole ballpark. It's not a healthy place. So no judging mind, no comparing mind. And then the other thing that gets us Oh, by the way, we can compare ourselves to a previous sit. We can compare ourselves to the last retreat. We can compare ourselves to we, what we know the person sitting next to us is experiencing. They're having such a blissful time, and here I am, which is so often opposite what you think. <laughs> and, and then we compare against perfect. Good luck. <laughs> so judging, comparing, and then fixing Oh, if I can just get my body right, if, if maybe if I get straighter, that'll do it. Or oh, if you know, if I if I can just do this, if I you know, like something about the body, or if I can just get my mind to go ahead and come to peace with this thing that it's disturbed by, I'll I'll spend this day thinking about that, and I'll get that taken care of. We're capable of conceiving anything in the nature of fixing that will help us.
It doesn't mean that we don't have discerning wisdom. We want to, discerning wisdom can look like judging and comparing and fixing, but discerning wisdom knows what's wholesome and unwholesome and what's skillful and unskillful, and it acts according. But fixing mind is a reactive mind, just like judging and comparing is. See some nods out there, that's encouraging. So we're gonna end our little exploration at this time with another set of renunciations. And the first of these is that we're going to renounce judging mind. And again, I will say it in parts. For the duration of this retreat, I renounce judging mind as best I am able. For the duration of this retreat, I renounce comparing mind as best I am able. For the duration of this retreat, I renounce fixing mind as best I am able. Now our minds are protected to some degree. The best I am able is the only way to make this genuine. As best I am able is your real friend. Don't take advantage of your friend. Don't trick your friend and say, oh, I'm doing as best I am able. No, the challenge is to be as best I'm able, but then not to fall into judging and comparing about your judging, or judging and comparing about your comparing, or judging and comparing about your fixing. That's, that's the, the standard kind of thing that happens in the Vipassana. But you're just, you're, you've, you, this is cultivation of an attitude that will allow you to just practice. It's, it's, there's a humility in it, but the humility has dignity because you're showing up. And that's, that's the dignity. You're willing to be present. You can't control exactly how you're going to show up, but you're willing to show up and be present for it. This is such wholesome uh, 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 practice because of that's exactly what, if we're going to open to our heart, that's what we've got to be able to do. We, we, with humility, we show up because we don't know what's going to happen to our heart. We, we don't know how well our heart can open. We, we know that sometimes it's, it really gets hurt when we open the heart. And, and I don't mean like just romantically or even just loving your children. I mean to life in this realm, how difficult life is in this realm at times. So that's where we're really, we're, this practice has these deep resonances on and on. And your dignity and just as best I am able, I am available to the Dhamma. So close your eyes for a moment, please. Let's all do so. Bringing attention to the body. Attention to the heart space. Bringing attention to the thinking mind. None of these have to be excluded as we collect and unify the mind. Rather, we utilize each as best we're able to collect and unify the mind in a relaxed manner that allows us to soften into the immediacy of our experience.
Thank you for your kind attention. We will be back for the nine o'clock sit. I realize that some of you will be going to bed before then, but I really encourage you to take, oh, 10 minutes, if even, I'll settle for five minutes if I have to, to actually let your experiences of the last uh, hour settle in, to not just jump into an activity that's got a kind of closing down before you've, before you've really given yourself any private time to be with whatever you've experienced. 